Hey guys, welcome back to That Florida Feeling. How's everybody this week? I hope it's been a good week. I know the weather's been a little crappy lately. I hope everybody's okay from those storms. Florida's just getting a lot of rain right now. I know the Panhandle got some uh, bad weather, tornadoes. I hope everybody's okay up there. I see that most of us enjoy seafood or pizza on our vacation. I agree with both of those. Um, But me and the person who picked coconut shrimp definitely know what's up. But I have to agree with people who pick pizza. Sometimes you find those really good hole-in-the-wall pizza joints, and then you wish you lived there just for pizza alone. Side note, moving just for a pizza shop is probably not the grandest idea, but you do you. Thanks to everybody who has liked, subscribed, commented, interacted with the Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. You guys are awesome. I really appreciate it. It still blows my mind that you guys want to listen to me each week, so thank you so much for that. We're getting close to 2,000 downloads. I think that's awesome. And since I've got my logo, I'm working on, you know, hopefully getting some stickers and some stuff out soon. Working on that. Um, today I wanted to do a topic that I find interesting. And it's because I don't feel like it's talked about a lot. Um, and it's my history nerd coming out. So forgive me. Go with me on this one. Uh, I've studied a lot of American history and I know that if you have to go to school in America, then you study American history at least three or four times in your 12 years. Um, and being from Tennessee, we definitely studied this part of American history, which is the civil war. And I know we heard about the civil war. We all know about Gettysburg and Antietam and you know, all the major battles, but I didn't realize how much Florida actually played a role in the Civil War, really, until I started doing this podcast, and then things I would research, it kept popping up about Florida in the Civil War, and Florida in the Civil War, and I was like, you know what, finally, I'm just gonna do a Civil War uh, podcast. No, we're not gonna talk about the reasons why the Civil War started. We are literally just going to talk about Florida's role in the Civil War. And I knew that Florida seceded from the Union uh, to join the Confederates, but that's really all I knew. I, you know, you you have an idea that they were somehow in a blockade or they could ship things, and but it, it didn't really click to me about how much Florida's involvement in the war really was. So I thought that this would be an interesting podcast to talk to you guys about or to really just share more of Florida's history since this is a Florida podcast. I felt that this would be kind of an interesting topic. So, little background, if you're not from the United States of America, the Civil War was fought in the U.S. between the northern and the southern states from 1861 to 1865. And Florida was part of the CSA, or the Confederate States of America. Uh, Florida was actually the third southern state to leave the Union in 1861. I did not realize that. I thought that Florida was one of the last ones, but apparently it was one of the first ones. And, of course, when Florida did leave, they had the smallest population of the Confederate states with only about 140,000 residents in the whole state. And half of those residents were enslaved people. Florida sent about 15,000 troops to the Confederate Army, um, but, of course, most of them didn't fight in Florida. Um, There wasn't a lot of actual battles in Florida, and most of them were sent elsewhere during the war. And the main reason that Florida was important to the Confederacy was the source of cattle food, and of course the ability to ship in and out of the um, coastline. Now the Confederacy did use Florida mainly as an entry and exit location for blockade runners because the lagoons, inlets, and bays really gave them the ability to evade the Union Army. Now 
President Lincoln was elected to president in, of the United States of America in a, the 1860 election. And that was a pivotal moment in the U.S. Because not everybody approved of what he was doing in the country. And you could say that his election really kind of started the beginning of people wanting to leave the Union. So, in January of 1860, talks of conflict had progressed in Florida to the point that Senators Stephen Mallory and David Lee Uly jointly requested from the War Department a statement of munitions and equipment for all the Florida forts. Um, and there's actually quite a few more forts in Florida than you realize. Because they these two senators knew that conflict was coming. Um, shortly after that, a special... Sec- Session Convention, formerly known as the Convention of the People of Florida. We'll call them early Florida men. But the Convention of the People of Florida was called by Governor Madison S. Perry to discuss whether they would secede from the Union. And the delegates were selected statewide, and they all met in Tallahassee on January 3rd, 1861. So this is the very beginning of 1861. Now, of course, just... Florida people couldn't just show up to this meeting. They had to have other people, of course, come. And a Virginia planter and firebrand named Edmund Ruffin came to the convention to advocate for secession. He was one of the people pushing for Florida to leave the Union. Um, Side note about this convention of Florida people, and this is why I say this is a Florida man convention. 51 of the 69 convention members were slaveholders in 1860, and only 7 of them were actually born in Florida. So, let that sink in. The people making the decisions for Florida were not actually from Florida. I don't think it would have made a difference if they had been from Florida, the way things were going back then. But I still find it really funny, ridiculously funny, that only seven of them were from Florida and, you know, made this decision. Now, a series of resolutions defining the purpose of the convention and the constitutionality of the secession were introduced on January 5th by McQueen McIntosh. So, basically, they started on the 3rd. By the 5th, they were looking for reasons to secede conventionally. And the convention did continue on as more people began to get more passionate about seceding from the Union. Edward Bullock of Alabama also spoke to the convention, and he wanted to also sway them to leave the Union. And the votes on January 7th were overwhelmingly in favor of immediate secession. Not like, let's wait, like, let's do it right now. And the votes were 62 to 7 in favor of withdrawing from the Union. I have to wonder if those 7 that didn't want to were the same 7 that were actually born in Florida. Now, a small group that was against leaving the Union did exist in Florida. Um, Obviously, it was very small. It was called the Constitutional Union Party, and it was made up of mostly conservative Democrats that had several supporting newspapers in the state, including Tallahassee's Florida Sentinel, which is a big newspaper back then. Um, And, of course, Florida had pockets of people who were opposed to leaving. And these people did not have it easy. They often were ridiculed in public. They were attacked in public. There was even reports of being shot, and a couple were even killed for opposing to leave the Union. So it was a very bad time back then. Now, a formal ordinance of succession was introduced in on January 8, 1861. And the main topic was if Florida should immediately withdraw or if they should wait till other states such as Alabama chose to leave. The official ordinance was adopted on January 10, 1861. So, in a matter of seven days, Florida chose to leave. Um, And they declared that the nation of Florida 
officially called the nation of Florida, had officially seceded from the Union as of January 10th, 1861. Now, of course, Florida was the third state. As I said, they followed South Carolina and Mississippi. And Florida officially signed the ordinance and created a new state constitution for this new nation of Florida. They also officially joined the other southern states in to form, well, with the other states, into a new formation of the Confederate States of America. Florida Senator Mallory, who was one of the spearheaded efforts of this, uh, was given Secretary of Navy in the first Confederate cabinet under the newly elected Jefferson Davis as president of the Confederate States. Now, Florida was, again, very important to Confederates, like I said, and that was because of the supply route for the Army. Um, Union forces operated blockades around the entire coastline of the state, the entire state. And that is an 8,436-mile coastline with 11,000 miles of river streams and waterways that proved a haven for blockade runners. And that also made it really hard for the federal warships who were trying to stop these people from going in and out. Uh, And, of course, the governor at the time was John Milton by this point. He understood the importance and throughout the war stressed the importance of Florida as a supplier of goods rather than the manpower that the state could give to the cause of the war. So he understood that Florida was important, but not because there was people here. It's because of what the people here could produce. And Florida was a large provider of food, uh, again, mainly beef cattle, and also salt, which was needed for certain types of ammo for the Confederates. Florida also provided the unique situation due to its proximity to Cuba. And that meant that they could send help, also continue to trade with Spain and other parts of Europe, and as well as ask for help in their cause in the war. And they did. They were absolutely trying to get the, I think it was mainly the French to back them. Um, And even, I think they even reached out to the English. They wanted them to be able to, to get help so that they could win their cause. And of course, again, Florida being so accused to keep close to Cuba, it was easy for them to be able to send those messages back and forth once the blockade runners got away from the warships. Now, of course, Florida is still a unique issue in the war, as in most of its residents actually live in the northern part of the state at this time. Um, The southernmost part of the state was not developed outside of Key West. There was a couple little forts here and there, but the majority of the population was up north, which meant the Panhandle, St. Augustine, and Tallahassee. And so that also meant that most of the slaves were also in the northern part of Florida. And the Confederate used the enslaved people to support to support their transport of supplies, as well as laborers in the salt works and fisheries. A lot of the enslaved workers working in the coastal areas were actually able to escape to Union-controlled enclaves during the war, thanks to it being on the coast, and they could just slip out in the water. A lot of people also fled to Key West because of the relatively large free black population and the fact that Key West was actually Union-controlled. That was the part of Florida that was not controlled by the Confederacy when they seceded. Now, of course, Florida also saw its share of deserters due to how Florida may or may not wanted to leave the Union and also how they handled the war. And surprisingly enough, Central Florida became a haven for deserters. And not just from Florida, but a lot of the other southern states tried to get through Florida as well. The deserters actually worked against the Confederacy in Florida. They would attack the patrols, raid the the plantations, the platoons, confiscate and then free slaves, stole cattle, stole anything that they could, and then give the info to the Union Army. A lot of deserters also created their own uh, bands, 
or they just went ahead and joined the Union to serve uh, in Florida against Florida. Now, Florida did see some battles during the war as they tried to take over most of the forts at the beginning of the war. Uh, Fort Jefferson and the Dry Tortugas, Fort Pickens in Pensacola, and Fort Zachary Taylor in Key West all remained under Union control throughout the war. They never fell into Confederate hands. Although the first battle in Florida, which also may have been technically the first battle in the war, according to historians, did take place at one of these forts. Now, on January 10th, 1861, the same day that Florida officially declared secession, Adam J. Sleemer, who was a Union military officer, destroyed over 20,000 pounds of gunpowder at Fort McRae, which is in Perdido Key. Sorry, guys, my cat sneezed. Bless you, mama. And so this Adam J. Sleemer destroyed 20,000 pounds of gunpowder at Fort McRae in Perdido Key. He also then spiked the guns to stop them from being operational at Fort I never can say this right, but it's Fort Barnacus. Barancus. It's in Pensacola. I cannot pronounce it. I apologize. Um, but it is a fort in Pensacola, and he spiked the guns so that they would be inoperational against the Union Army. He then took his fort forces all the way to Fort Pickens in Pensacola, where he fortified it and was not going to let Fort Pickens fall to the Confederates. And in this we'll say March from Perdido Key to Pensacola. There was a couple skirmishes, some battles, uh, or some shots fired. So they do think that that might've been one of the first actual, um, battles in the war, according to historians. Now the battle of Santa Rosa Island happened the same year on October 9th in 1861. And it was an unsuccessful attempt by the Confederates to take Fort Pickens. After midnight on October 9th, Brigadier General Richard Anderson crossed the from the mainland onto Santa Rosa Island with 1,200 men in two small streamers, and they were going to surprise the Union forces to capture Fort Pickens. He landed on the north side of the beach about four miles east of Fort Pickens and proceeded to march on the fort. The Confederates actually marched three out of the four miles and surprised the 6th Regiment that was outside of the fort. Um, General Anderson actually tried to entice the Federal forces at the fort to leave to help and aid the ones that were being attacked. But they did not leave. In fact, Union forces actually had backup nearby, called them in, and forced the Confederates back to the mainland. Now, the Union actually lost 14 men with 29 wounded and 24 missing or captured. The Confederates reported 30 to 40 killed or wounded, but the actual report of total casualties was probably closer to 175. General Anderson, the man that actually led the entire thing for the Confederates, was also severely wounded. Now, that wasn't the only battle at the beginning of the Civil War in Florida. The skirmish at Brick Church was also another major land engagement, but this time it was the first one in northern Florida. The Confederates heard that the Union had landed in Jacksonville, and the Confederate spies reported that the Union forces had set up a strong picket outpost at a Brick Church. Real specific, but just a Brick Church. So, W.S. Dilworth was conducting raids and attacking Union pickets, really just to annoy the enemy and to pick off their supplies and really just to disrupt the flow. And one of these attacks did happen at a brick church and ended up going from, you know, just an annoying enemy to a full-on battle. Lieutenant Strange of the 3rd Florida, who was at the brick church, was ordered to capture the Union, uh, if possible, without bloodshed. So... 30 Confederates encountered only five Union soldiers in the vicinity of the Brick Church. I'd say that's a bit outnumbered. 
and the Union soldiers were hiding behind tombstones and trees and shooting at the advancing Confederates. The Union soldiers ended up retreating into the church where two were ultimately killed and three surrendered. So that's Skirmish at Brick Church. Um, I feel that that's just out. That's just, I don't know. That's ridiculous. Um, In March, the Union also ended up capturing uh, St. Augustine and took Fort Marion, which we now know uh, as Castillo de San Marco today. So the Union did capture St. Augustine early in the war and did use Fort Marion or Castillo de San Marco to their advantage. Now, Jacksonville did see some battles. Uh, The battle at St. John's Bluff was the main one there. And that battle was fought from October 1st through the 3rd in 1862. So we've entered the second real year of the war. The Union wanted control of the St. John's River. It was helpful for movement of troops, supplies, and to get free slaves out of the state. The Confederates also knew that the St. John's River was vital for the same reasons. So early in the war, the Confederates had actually established an artillery battery on St. John's Bluff, which is about 18 miles downstream south of Jacksonville. So on September 11th, the Confederates opened fire on a Union gunboat from these bluffs as it sailed down the river, and the ship returned fire but did not destroy the Confederates. The Union called in backup, realizing that this is a very bad thing. They needed to get rid of these uh, people on the bluff. So, on October 1st, the Union marched towards the area. They knew that going up the river wasn't going to be the best way to go to handle it, so they marched in the area. So, uh, by October 2nd, they had actually reached the area of the bluffs, and they had come up from the rear, and they found the encampment of Confederates. They raided them for supplies, mainly their rifles, and ran away. So, basically, they're taunting these people now. And the Confederates were so surprised and panicked that they saw that people were coming from them, not only from the river, but also from the other, from behind them, that they just left. They're, I'm out, I'm just gone. They abandoned the position. And so, of course, the Union troops took the bluff, seized the cannons, and held it for themselves. Another main spot in Florida that saw some battles was Tampa. And, of course, Tampa Bay. It was the site of battles when Union gunboat the USS Sagamore sailed into Tampa Bay and bombarded Fort Brooke on June 30th, 1861. Side note, if this sounds familiar, I did talk about it in my podcast on Tampa. Now, the Battle of Tampa lasted from June 30th to July 1st in 1861. The battle was also known as the Yankee uh, Outrage at Tampa. I don't know that I would have ever named it that. But that's fine. The Yankee outrage at Tampa. And basically the battle was the boat opened fire on Fort Brooke. Fort Brooke proceeded to return fire until the USS Sagamore withdrew after one last bombardment. I'm sorry if you're a Simpsons fan. All I'm thinking of is the PE coach that yells bombardment when he throws, um, what is it, kickballs at kids. Sorry. I'm trying not to laugh. Sorry. So... They bombarded the fort one last time, and then the USS Sagamore on the Union side sailed away. Uh, The Confederates did not report any casualties, and that was the first battle at Fort Brooke. The second battle of Fort Brooke was fought in October from 16th through October 18th of 1863. So they tried them in 1861, they left, they tried again two years later. So the battle... This battle of Fort Brooke in 1863 started on October 16th as two Union gunships, the USS Tahoma and the USS 
Adela sailed into Tampa Bay and began a slow bombardment on Fort Brooke. Uh, the gunships kind of just stayed right out of range so that they could reach the fort, but the fort could not return fire on them. And they did this for at least a day or two so that on October 18th, a Union raiding party could land at Ballast Point. If you're in Tampa or you've been to Tampa, Ballast Point is now where Bayshore Boulevard and Gandy Boulevard kind of meet. So they landed at this point and they snuck through the area, which is now technically the Seminole Heights neighborhood of Tampa, and targeted the Gene Street shipyard on the Hillsborough River. They actually made it. They seized and burned several ships and that were moored at the dock, including two notorious blockade runners, the steamship Scottish Chief and the sloop Katie, Kate Dale. The raid and bombardment, bombardment actually accomplished the objective, which was to cripple Tampa for the duration of the rest of the war. Fun fact, the Kate Dale is actually still on the bottom of the Hillsborough River, and it sank in the spot on the river near where present-day Zoo Tampa is. Which I think that's kind of cool, because I love Zoo Tampa. But anyways, the Kate Dale still remains on the bottom of the Hillsborough River. So, by May of 1864, all regular Confederate troops had been withdrawn from Tampa to go to other areas of the war. So, the Union forces landed at Fort Brooke one last time with no opposition. So, on May 5th of 1864, they seized Tampa. They seized Fort Brooke. They took or destroyed all artillery pieces, and anything that was left behind was now in Union hands. They left in June of 1864, so barely a month, after seeing that most of Tampa was deserted, the fort did not hold any significance, and that there was going to be no, not even an attempt at getting it back from the, for the Confederates. Fort Brooke no longer stands in Tampa, by the way. You still can see the last two remaining cannons um, on the University of Tampa grounds. Now, the only significant battle in the Civil War that was fought in Florida was actually the Battle of Olusti, or the Battle of Ocean Pond. Olusti is near Lake City, so it's the north part of Florida, and the battle was fought on February 20th, 1864, so we're getting towards the last year of the war. And the battle is the largest one fought in Florida. Union General Seymour led 5,500 men towards Lake City, and around 2.30 p.m., on February 20th, the Union forces approached Confederates under General Figgin with his about 5,000 men near Olusty Station. The forces were met at Ocean Pond, where the battle began. And if you ever read about this battle, shit show is about the only way to describe it. People were not where they were supposed to be at all, and they were not supposed to meet at a pond, and things just did not go right. But the battle was fought here. And, of course, the Seymour, who was the Union general, actually thought that he was facing a small militia, only to find out that he was actually facing the Confederate Army. And the Union forces were actually pushed back by barrages of rifle and cannon fire. So the Confederates were actually ready this time. Now, the battle continued through the afternoon as the Union broke and began to retreat. Confederates allowed them to retreat to Jacksonville. Now, the battle saw casualties on both sides, with the Union casualties being about 1,800, 1800 to 1860. There's no actual def definite number, um, but it was, we'll say, between 18 and 1900 men. The Confederates actually lost significantly less, with only 950-ish casualties. 
And, of course, the union losses in Florida, that was a big loss, um, had them questioning their involvement in the state of Florida. Is it worth it? Do we need to go down there? Do we need to try this? And so the Confederates, however, saw this as the opposite and thought, this is great. This is a good sign. We have won. So, you know, they were reinvigorated. They thought we had they had a chance in the war. And they kept going. Now, the Battle of Alusti is, you can actually visit... The Alusty Battlefield Historic State Park. Um, it is, of course, in Alusty, near Lake City. And it has been commemorated. So if you're a historian or a Civil War fanatic, you can definitely go check that out in Florida. And, of course, Florida saw a few more battles in the state before the end of the war. Battles that took place in, place in Gainesville, Pensacola, Mariana. There was even a battle in Fort Myers, which is actually known as the most southernmost battle in the Civil War. Because Key West never actually saw any action. The Battle of Fort Myers lasted less than a day. And it was basically a few men firing at a fort and the fort firing back. One man was killed on Union forces and the Confederates also lost one man. Now, the Confederates, who were known as the Cattle Guard Battalion. It's a great name. The Cattle Guard Battalion turned and ran away from the fort and went back up to Fort Meade in Polk County to hide out for the rest of the war. So, Florida did actually play a part in the Civil War, and a lot more than I thought. Um, you know, I, I knew it had blockades. I knew that they had goods that people would need and some troops to fight. I just didn't realize that it was actually going to be that much uh, or that significant. Now, of course, the Union did take authority over Florida after Lee surrendered on April 9th in 1865. And a few people who were in Florida who were not for it seceding were not so lucky to be able to join society again. Uh, David Lee Uly, who I spoke about in the beginning of the podcast, he was in prison for helping Jefferson Davis attempt to escape. Governor Milton, who I also talked about, committed suicide rather than to submit to Union occupation because his final words were, as he stated, Yankees have developed a character so odious that death would be preferable to reunion with them. Well, bye to you too, sir. Florida was actually eventually obviously allowed to go back to the Union after they met the requirements of Reconstruction and were fully restored on June 25th, 1868. So, a couple years after the actual war. I hope that I have given you all a small history lesson into Florida's involvement on the Civil War. Thank you for listening. Hope it wasn't too boring, and thank you for indulging my nerdiness on history. Uh, I promise we'll do a more fun episode next week. Don't forget, as always, to check out the poll or question of the week on Wednesdays. Thank you all for understanding that Wednesdays were better for me. I really appreciate it. If you guys have a second, I really would love it if you could go leave a review on Apple or Spotify. It really just helps to get the podcast out more. Please, please, please share the Facebook group and page or any Instagram post. I really appreciate that as well. You guys are simply amazing. I decided not to do a Florida Man story this week because I think we just did almost an entire episode on them. So forgive me this time. All right, guys. If you have any suggestions, want to say hi, whatever, email me, talk to me on Facebook, find me on Instagram. Send me a message on Twitter. I respond to all those. Don't forget to tag that Florida feeling on your Instagram picture so I can share them. And as always, guys, don't forget to drink water, wear sunscreen. Please be nice to others. And as always, that's your daily dose of sunshine.